covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And it is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It's great to have you with us this week. And what a week it was as the Brewers make a huge move, two huge moves, as they go acquire Christian Yelich and also uh, sign Lorenzo Cain to a free agent contract. We obviously have a lot to get into here on the program today. Before we jump into anything, though, our normal uh, housekeeping sort of items that we like to uh, do here at the beginning of the program. First and foremost, if you uh, do uh, want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T. P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You don't have to follow me to tweet at me. Uh, if you do follow me, that's great. I always appreciate the people who uh, take the time to uh, click follow with me. and uh, Or you can always drop me an email if you would like. Matt.Pauly at WTMJ.com Also, if you uh, do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and you want to take a moment and leave a review for the podcast, that's fantastic. That helps us kind of move up in the charts and more people find us. And uh, we always enjoy that. We like people being able to uh, listen to the podcast on an each and every week basis. On the program uh, this week, and we record this on Sunday night, and Sunday was a big day. For me, when the Brewers hold their annual on-deck event, which is the Fan Fest, that kind of marks the end of the off season. Now I know it's still January. I know it's still a little while till pitchers and catchers report, and obviously we'll get into this more throughout the program. I know that the roster is not yet all the way put together, but we've hit that point where it feels like players are making their way down to Arizona. Pitchers and catchers are reporting very soon. Before you know it, Cactus League games are going to be played. And then before you know it, after that, it's going to be March 29th and they're going to be opening up their regular season in San Diego. Yes, I did say March 29th. If you didn't realize, uh, this year the regular season is going to begin on Thursday, March 29th. The home opener, by the way, is going to be in April, though that's going to happen on Monday, April 2nd, when they take on the St. Louis Cardinals. This was a big week. They go out and they trade for Christian Yelich from the Miami Marlins, and they also sign Lorenzo Cain. I've said this a lot. If, you, uh, if you're if you local and you listen to uh, 620 WTMJ in Milwaukee, and you've heard me at all over uh, the last week or so, I feel like this is a pivot for the organization. The pivot being that winning now now has importance. That doesn't mean they're not still trying to position themselves to win in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. Winning now doesn't preclude them from doing that. But a year ago, certainly two years ago, there was zero focus on winning now. There was focus on setting up this team for the future. And when you talk about a team that is going through a rebuild, rebuilding teams are not actively trying to win at that very moment. The Brewers aren't a rebuilding team anymore. Now, does that mean that at some point in the next few years, there's not a situation where maybe the Brewers have a veteran player that they get the sense that they're not going to be able to afford to be able to resign and they end up selling them off for prospects? No, that doesn't mean that. Does that even mean that something like that could happen this offseason? You know, we there's a lot of talk, and we'll get into Mingo Santana later on in the program. There's a lot of talk about 
Domingo Santana possibly being traded at some point. Is there a scenario where they sign a free agent pitcher, a Hugh Darvish, Jake Arrieta, Lance Lynn, and Alex Cobb, and at that point the starting rotation is kind of set? So instead of trying to flip Domingo Santana for another starting pitcher, instead they try to resupplement the farm system again? All that, all those things are, are possible. So in no way, shape, or form does a team that's no longer rebuilding mean that every single move that this team is going to make is going to be made to win in 2018. But Mark Atanasio said something interesting. And these are these things that, you know, a couple weeks ago on the program, I threw out the idea, and I was wrong. I'm wrong a lot. It's It happens. A couple, a couple weeks ago, I threw out the idea on the program that maybe the Brewers were sticking with their timeline. Maybe they set kind of an, an internal timeline, not something that they were going to talk about publicly, but that they set a timeline that you know they were going to be competing at a very high level in 2019 or 2020, whatever it might be. And even though they had such the success in 2017, that that wasn't going to knock them off their timeline, that they weren't going to go adjust things for the future to win in 2018 threw that idea out I didn't even know if I believed it and I didn't if you go back to the podcast you're not going to hear me say that I believe that I just kind of threw that idea out into space that it was a possibility and I thought it was a possibility I didn't know if I thought that was most likely the case but I thought it was a possibility I was wrong I was way wrong and if I would have been sitting in Mark Atanasio's house at some point in October, I would have known that. Because Atanasio on the Brewers on Deck event, he told the assembled media, he also told our uh, Brewers on Deck live show that Greg Matzik and myself did, that he, David Stearns, and Matt Arnold had a meeting at his home in California very soon after the 2017 season came to an end. And they made the decision right there that wins in 2018 were just as important as wins in 2020. What that means is they were going to try to win this upcoming season. Now, just the way baseball has been in this offseason, there hasn't been a lot of moves. just hasn't been. It's been a very quiet offseason. There's a lot of people who have a lot of thoughts why collusion has been brought up. We're gonna, Our featured guest this week is uh, Nicholas Zettel from BP Milwaukee, a term that he's going to use in the interview. Uh, that you'll hear in just a bit is the term groupthink among most general managers around Major League Baseball. Whatever the reason is, there hasn't been a lot of moves in baseball. So, But now we learn that all along, the Brewers were going for it. And uh, Mark Atanasio, when he, when he stood up from our interview on Sunday, he, he made a comment to us and said... David's not done yet. or da- I don't know if he said David's not done yet or David still has something up his sleeve. You get the idea. It's a, it's a paraphrase quote, but you get the idea. Th- th- they're still working on stuff. And maybe it's from a free agent standpoint. Maybe it's from a trade standpoint. But the roster as it sits on January 28th at 10.17 p.m. Central as I'm recording this right now. It's it's not done, and that's a, it's exciting for 
for everybody who, you know, if you're a fan, it's exciting. Something that would, um, I, I did a media panel with Todd, uh, Tom Hodricourt, Todd Rosiak, and Adam McAlvey. And something that they brought up, and they spent some more time around a lot of the players. Um, during most of the day, I was doing the radio show, and we had Josh Hader on, we had Chase Anderson on, we had Travis Shaw on. But uh, those guys were kind of in the downstairs media area where players were just being rolled through constantly. And something they said was, the players are excited. The players are excited about this. That they're geeked up, you know. The and the different stories about how guys found out about both Yelich and Kane. Uh, there was a group of guys who were playing a video game, and uh, they were on headsets. So they were all in their various locations, but they were all on headsets, so they could all be talking to each other. And it, it happened then, and that's when they found out. Uh, Zach Davies got so excited he like kind of threw his phone down and ended up breaking it. There's there's truly excitement. There was a buzz at the event on Sunday. It, this is this is a good time to be a Brewers fan because the window seems to truly be opening for this team to compete at a pretty high level. And the way things are set up, the club control for Yelich for five years, a five-year deal for Kane, and a five-year deal for Kane where the money starts to come down on the backside, so even if his production starts to dwindle and you have to go in a different direction in the outfield, uh, you're not spending quite as much money for him later on in his contract. There's just a lot of reasons to be excited about this team. All right, here's what's coming up here uh, on the program this uh, week, uh, this edition. We are going to be joined by uh, Nicholas Zettel. He's the editor over at BP Milwaukee, and he's going to be with us coming up here in uh, just a few moments. But before we get to that, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so the Headlines of the Week. Are, are pretty obvious. It's the move that is made, uh, the two moves that are made on Thursday when the Brewers go sign Lorenzo Cain to a five-year contract. Total value is $80 million, which that's a lot of money, obviously. That's one of the biggest contracts in the history of the franchise. But $80 million over five years in today's baseball, that's not a horrible number. And you're going a little deeper into, you know, He's, he's going to be you know, almost into his late 30s by the time that contract comes to an end. But overall, that's not a bad contract at all. And then they make a trade for Christian Yelich from the Marlins in exchange for uh, Lewis Brinton, Brinson, Monte Harrison, Hassan Diaz, and also Jordan Yamamoto. I think one thing that's really notable about the what's given up, because, look, the, what they gave up for Yelich, they gave up a lot. Lewis Brinson's going to be a really, really good player in Major League Baseball. He is. That that's a that's a tough thing to give up that they did in trading away Lewis Brinson. Monte Harrison's was definitely trending in the up direction, but from a prospect Major League ready player, not that Brett Phillips is Lewis Brinson, not that Phillips you know, projects out to be the same guy that Brunson was. But Phillips, I think, is going to be a pretty darn good Major League outfielder. And we saw that last year in the final month of the season. Now, what his status looks like when the season gets underway this year, whether or not the team still has Domingo Santana or not, could impact that. I mean, there's a chance that Phillips doesn't even make the roster coming out of spring training. But all that being said, 
you have Brett Phillips, and then you have Corey Ray still in the system, and you've got other high-profile outfielders. Asan Diaz, he gets traded. But from a middle infield standpoint, Mauricio Demond's right there. Finished out the year AAA last year. Uh, I would I would bet that he makes his Major League debut at some point in 2018. Keston Hira, he had the best bat in the draft last year, and he has done nothing but hit since he's been a member of the Brewers organization. He's on the fast track. No, I don't think we're going to see him in 2018. Might not even see him in 2019. I think the earliest arrival would probably be very late in the season, 2019. But by the time 2020 hits, yeah, Keston here is going to be a brewer unless something happens where he, he were to get moved. So there's there's depth in the minor league system. There's depth you know, throughout the, the, the prospect rankings that they were able to go out and, uh, and make this move. Uh, some of the news and notes that come out of on deck, uh, Josh Hader, he's going to start the season in the bullpen. That is official. So he's not going to be, um, he is, he's not going to be in competition for a starting rotation spot to begin the 2018 season. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think if you're going to eventually, there's, there's a thought that he'll be a starter, but you got to figure out how you're going to do that. You don't want to increase the number of innings by a certain amount from one year to the next. You're just asking for injury when that happens. And when you look at the innings that he threw last year and really where he could get to this year, uh, they they still gotta they still gotta figure out how they're gonna stretch him out from an innings perspective. So that's a challenge for them. And plus the other thing with Josh Hader is he's so devastating to left handers. A lot of times starting pitchers a lot of those innings you're pitching, a lot of those at-bats you're pitching, they're, they're innings and at-bats that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And by having Josh Hader in the bullpen, who's got as debilitating and devastating stuff towards left-handers, what you're assuring is that, basic, that, that a high percentage of his outings, his innings, his at-bats, are going to be very, very important ones. Some news on Ryan Braun. Sounds like they're going to play him a little bit at first base during spring training. Uh, that will help with the log jam in the outfield, especially if they do not move Domingo Santana. But uh, there's been so much talk for years and years and years about Braun playing a little bit of first base, and now it sounds like it might happen. For me, the, the idea of Braun at first, the other thing that it allows Craig Council to do is be even more creative on double switches. If you're doing a double switch and you, and you need to double switch the first baseman out and you can move Braun from left to first midway through a game, that's a great thing to be able to do. Braun has even offered to play a little bit of second base. You know, he came up as a third baseman. He doesn't want to play third base. That's not a position he wants to see again. But he, he's offered to try to play a little bit of second base. I don't expect that to happen. But just continues to show you that this Brewers organization, how much versatility they want to have in their uh, in their different uh, players so um, that's going to be uh, that'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that plays out as uh, they move forward so those are the big uh, highlights and the big notable things that uh, that occurred Mark Atanasio did say it was a funny story the the day of the uh, Christian Yelich trade David Stearns was texting him details and asking him questions and not getting anything back and Atanasio says that Stearns calls him calls him that night and says, hey, am I bothering you? Is it a bad time? And Atanasio says, no, I'm fine. 
the text messages weren't going through. We've all had that where whatever is happening with our phone, text messages weren't going through. So Stearns was getting this feeling that maybe Atanasio was not comfortable with that trade. And uh, Atanasio said to us that uh, when, when he finally got Stearns on the line and Stearns says, you know, I want your approval on this trade, um, but I have to go through it first, Atanasio's response was, it's approved, now tell me what it is. So he was all in. He was all in on that trade uh, before even hearing all the details of it. All right, we're going to be joined by uh, Nicholas Zettel here in just a second. He is the uh, editor over at BP Milwaukee. Obviously, talk about the team. One of my favorite things about my conversations with Nick, though, is we always get into some other things, kind of the uh, some business of baseball stuff, uh, some, you know, well, it's all coming up. I'll, I'll let you listen. So, uh, obviously, we're not going to not talk about uh, Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and all the excitement going on. But we're going to get into some other things as well coming up in uh, just a bit. As you are listening to Brewers Externies, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We continue on here on an episode. Uh, we're recording the night of the uh, Brewers on Deck event, which was held in downtown Milwaukee, which always kind of represents the end of winter and really the start of baseball season. And uh, the Brewers making a big move this past week as well. Two big moves as they go acquire uh, Christian Yelich from the Marlins. They sign Lorenzo Cain. You get the sense they're not done either. And uh, it's, we're very happy right now to uh, welcome into the program. He is uh, the editor over at BP Milwaukee. That's Baseball Prospectus. Uh, he is uh, Nicholas Zettel. Nick, Nick, it's great to talk to you. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I, I love your most recent piece, and I, I, I'm going to touch on it. I'm saying this first because I don't want you to give away too much of it uh, here on this first question because that what, what you most recently talked about is something that's very, very interesting, and you did kind of take a different view. So before we even get to that, just general thoughts on Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain both joining the Brewers organization. I'm, I'm thrilled with both of the moves. Um, I think, um, to me... This whole time, I've been waiting for something that David Stearns was going to define his his legacy with, and you know, for for most of this offseason, it got slow, so slow. I kind of convinced myself, well, maybe this guy is going to try this really really tough route where you where you develop everyone from the minors and bring them up. And I thought, you know, this is this is going to be it. He's going to have to be a player development guy. And then he showed, you know, he showed that not only not only will he make the big trades to do the rebuild, but he'll make the big trades to improve the team. And I think um, the fact that he went out and improved the outfield when everyone thought the outfield was all set, um, that just shows, I think, how critically he's thinking about things. And I just, I couldn't be happier with it. I think um, this sets up the Brewers with a serious five-year window to win. That's probably much more serious than anything they would have had otherwise. Based based on risk and based on all the question marks that were still swirling around some of their development uh, practices, so this is this is a pretty good scenario, I think. There's so many aspects to this that that are interesting because I, I was with you. I thought that maybe you know two weeks ago, a week ago, if you would have asked me, 
you know, is this team going to make any major moves going this year? I was starting to think, okay, maybe they're just, you know, maybe they were ahead on the timeline in terms of the rebuild, but they weren't really willing to adjust their own timeline, so they were just going to go into this year. And uh, then we find out Mark Atanasio at the Brewers uh, on deck event on uh, Sunday afternoon. He told the the symbol the assembled media. He also told us on our uh, WTM J show that we did uh, that as soon as the season got over last year, he had. Um, uh, he had David Stearns, Matt Arnold, and Craig Council out to California to kind of do a end-of-season deep dive, and they made the decision in that meeting that wins in 2018 were just as important as wins in 2020. So essentially they were saying, make moves to win now. So now we know that. We didn't know that a week ago. We didn't know that two days ago. Uh, what What's the takeaway that they, they did go into this offseason saying – 2018 is a win-now year. I think that's a sign. Um, it's a sign that it's a well-run organization. Uh, if you look at a lot of baseball right now, uh, look at what's happening in Pittsburgh. They just shredded that team apart. And look at look at what was happening in Miami, where if you looked at Miami at the end of the year, before they had their new ownership group come in, they had – they had the best offense in the National League besides the Cubs. They had this amazing up-and-coming offense with Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, and Marcelo Zuna. And they, uh, they, they, they need pitching, but that's it, you know. And instead of going the direction of just fortifying their pitching staff a little bit, they, they destroyed the team. They just, they just tore it apart. And I think when you're looking at these middle-of-the-road teams in the National League, and you're looking at all these teams that just want to focus on rebuilding. I think it's extremely it's extremely necessary that a team like the Brewers try and win every year because they need they need every ounce of revenue from attendance. But also, I think it's it's just an admirable thing when the industry seems to be going the way where losing is acceptable and fans fans want to see their teams tank to get draft picks. I just I think. No, we it, we should focus on winning, and it should be a demand. In fact, I shouldn't even be saying it's thrilling to see them try and win. That should be the mo of every single one of these entertainment organizations. You know, yeah. so I, I I couldn't be more thrilled with their approach. You know, I love comparing. I said this today uh, at the on deck deal. I, I love comparing the Brewers of what they're doing now with the Pittsburgh Pirates because the Pirates aren't a full teardown mode right now having traded away McCutcheon having traded away Garrett Cole the Pirates made to the postseason they they ended the postseason drought in 2013 they lost the divisional series and then they lost the wild card game 2014 2015 so you're sitting there or they they lost the wild card round so you're sitting there with the Pirates and they didn't make any major moves, really. I mean, they had some nice little small moves, but they never added to their core. The core of that team stayed the same, and they they had those three playoff years, and then they they fall off, and eventually they have to sell off the whole team. Uh, for me, I don't even know what I'm – I'm just kind of c- going to get you to comment on this statement. It's fun for me because even though the Brewers didn't make the postseason last year, obviously they, they took a major step forward. And instead of just sitting Absolutely. on that, they're – they're adding to their core where you look at a Pirates team that had three straight years of going to the postseason, but it never felt like they really truly went all in and added to the core. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that was kind of a lightning rod I would use to test with a lot of people um, 
uh, a lot of members of Brewers Analytic Community, Brewers fans, and Brewers Twitter is, you know, it, it was kind of a litmus test to see how you wanted the Brewers to do. If you test, you could put that question out there, do you think the Pirates had a good rebuild? You know, if the Brewers ended up being like the Pirates, do you think do you think that would be a good thing? And I, I always thought it was a cautionary tale because um, what no one ever talks about is that developing, just taking the player development route is extremely risky. Um, and people, people often look the other way. They always say, oh, if you do the big trades, if you do the huge free agency signings, that's extremely risky. But they don't look at if you only rely on your core, the guys you developed in-house, that's also extremely risky. And the Pirates, the Pirates actually attempted to do something very, very risky in only developing their core and never really trading. They, they, they didn't make but a few trades um, while they were contending. I went back and looked at their transactions this winter um, throughout their rebuild, and they never, there was never a point where you could say they made a really serious attempt to to solidify their fantastic club for years to come, and now it's over. So um, it it's just seems like the Brewers have already established in five, building a five-year window. I think the Brewers have already established a longer window than the Pirates ever had. And so I think that's, that's a tribute to Doug Melvin for instituting the teardown right away, and David Stearns for building on what Melvin had already done by the time he got to office. So it's it's just a. I, I think the the Brewers front office deserves uh, a round of applause all the way around from from Melvin to Stearns. Uh, I think they they really did a great job with it. It's they gave up a lot, and you look at the minor leaguers. But what what they gave up, you feel like that that they have comparable players either available or, or on the way. I mean, they give up Lewis Brinson, but you got Brett Phillips, who is right there. They give up Monty Harrison, but Corey Ray's not that far away. They give away Asan Diaz, but middle infield-wise, Mauricio Dubon's knocking on the door, and Keston Harris, you know, just right behind him based off the way that bat's going. Uh, they've got pitching. You know, Jordan Yamamoto was, wasn't easy to give away, but there's obviously pitching in the system as well. Is this a, a great example of where the depth throughout the minor league organization allows you to make a move like this? I would say so, and um, I would nitpick that just a little bit because I think it's important to say there's not there's not another prospect like Brinson in the system. Brinson is gonna was gonna be the guy that, for all the risk there, you would say he's gonna be the one that could be a superstar. But then, of course. What no one ever looks at when they say it was expensive to give up, for instance, no one ever really looks at what that risk means, that he might, he might never actually reach that superstar ceiling at the MLB level. So even someone like Brett Phillips is a totally different type of prospect because he's going to be more of a really like serviceable, high-floor high uh, guy who could he's going to be able to start for a little while. He's going to fit into a bench role. So that's going to be something totally different um, than what Brinson would ever be. But that said, there's a very high chance that Brett Phillips fulfills that role where we still don't know if it's going to be one year for Brinson to click or if it's going to take four years for him to get there. Um, but I think overall your sentiment is correct. that This is what you can do when you have a deep, deep farm system. And they have, they have a risky farm system too. So you're trading these. There, there's really no one in the farm system that you could say, this guy is surefire like truly elite prospect, this is the type of guy like a Carlos Correa or something where like the risk is 
extremely minimized, I feel like. So in that sense, it's an expensive prospect package, but the depth of the system will will kind of round that out a little bit. All right, let's get into some things that you've written recently. And the the general consensus, and I think we disagree a little bit. I'll, just, I'll tell you first off, I think Domingo Santana at this point is worth more to the Brewers on another team than he is on the Brewers. I think what you can get back for Santana is going to bring you more value and more wins than whatever he can bring to you if he stays on the team this year. So I know we disagree a little bit because you're of the belief that the Brewers should not trade Santana. Santana and have all these outfielders and everything. What's what's your thought process behind that, and, and how does that work out? So I think I'm perfectly fine with that disagreement, and I, I should state it's not that I'm against. I, I'm not. I'm never, I guess, 100 either way. I'm not. I'm not against them trading Santana, but I think what needs to be fully worked out if you're looking at that is what does it actually mean to keep him? And so now. Now, if you're looking at Ryan Braun playing first base, which was announced at FanFest, and also second base, potentially. So now you've got Ryan Braun potentially playing three different positions. Now, suddenly, you've got more space for Domingo Santana than even what I was proposing. I was proposing just keep five outfielders and make it work that way. But I think if you have a lineup where you can have Eric Thames at first base, Manny Pena at catcher, and then Braun, Arcia, Shaw, and then you can still put Yelich, Kane, and Santana in the outfield. That's a totally different team right there. That's a totally different question. So it, it's just really tough to see, to think about how that, that's going to work scouting-wise with Braun fitting at different positions. Um, but that said, if they, can get, if they can get something really valuable for Domingo Santana, that I, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I just think, given... Given Milwaukee's market status, we need our our team needs every asset that we can get, and I guess in a way that could support a trade position. But I look at that the other way that we already have this solidly average to above average player in Domingo Santana. But if you can use them flexibly, keep them around because it's just you don't know how much it's going to cost to replace that depth. Um, as soon as someone goes down with an injury or ineffectiveness in the middle of the season, so that's that's kind of my thinking on that. But I I want it's with respect that I I do understand why people want to see Santana traded, and I think that's that's a very fair way of thinking. So it's not I guess it's not it's not fixed in stone for me yet. I really wanted to think around this like how could you plan the deepest possible Brewers team that has successful players at every position and my other side on this and i don't know how you you go about dealing with this because really there's no there's no proof to what i'm about to say but for me there's something about domingo santana that he's got to play every day to be as good of a player as he was this past year to put up that production i feel like santana's an everyday guy and I would be worried on the Brewers' behalf that if you don't play him every day and you go into the season with him, that his value will actually drop and he won't get the opportunity to move him for the value that he's at right now. Do, any response to that? No, I think that's fair. Um, I think that's a fair, fair response um, because – the way baseball teams develop now is they do develop these guys to play every day. So I guess what I'm advocating is, um, 
I've been following the NBA a lot, and the idea of planning rest or planning these rotations where you're working on keeping as many great players as possible and rotating them in and out, that would be that would be a totally different change for a baseball team development-wise. So I don't, I don't actually know how you would get a team yeah. there development-wise. Um, so I totally can see that. Yeah, these guys are... These guys are designed to play every day now um, and develop to do that. But it's uh, it's more just trying to push the idea of thinking about the value of the roster in every way possible um, before saying, like, this is what a trade would mean versus this is what keeping Santana would mean. Because I do, part of me still does think with once an injury kicks in, there's going to be plenty of playing time for everybody. Um but of course, the question is: Does that injury come in May, or does that injury come in July after guys have been sitting on the bench a bit more? And the other side of it is with Ryan Braun's playing time. And two years ago, he was so productive when they were so conservative with how much time they played. And I know he was he was just fresh off the back surgery, so that's why they limited his playing time. But then this back this past year, they started out the season seemingly playing him every single day. And what do you know? He, he couldn't quite handle it. I, I'm not Craig Council. I'm not the training staff. I'm not Ryan Braun. But if I'm if I'm making those decisions, Ryan Braun's playing five days a week. He's never playing seven days a week. He's not even playing six days a week. He's playing five days a week. And every single time you have an off day, I'm giving him a rest either the day before or the day after the off day to make sure he gets you know multiple two days off during the course of the season. So if they if they do something along those lines of what I just said, and I probably oversimplified it, uh, there is going to be a, a fair amount of playing time. If you if if Braun's in left field four days a week, he's at first base one day a week, well, then there's three days a week for, for an open spot in the outfield. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I think an underrated aspect, too, is also um, resting Lorenzo Cain, which is really important because he's, He's going to make his money being an elite, uh, an elite athlete in center field. He's going to he's going to be a great defensive center fielder, and he's going to be playing a really physical brand of baseball. So, um, I think the underrated aspect of that is if you if you rest Kane as well, you're going to have even more space in that outfield um, to to get Santana in there. So, um, I, I I don't think it would be out of line. I think Tom Hardricourt Tom Hardricourt had this line that was basically like you don't you don't sign these guys to not play um especially when you're paying them 80 million dollars but i think i think it's actually the other way around that if you have this five-year investment in kane you want kane to be this elite athlete at 36 as much as possible as he is now so i i think you could even rest him as much as you rest braun and just let that deep outfield take care of itself because if you if you have your third if your third string outfield out there is Christian Yelich, Brett Phillips, and Domingo Santana, that's still that's a fantastic yeah. baseball team right there. You know, <laughs> that's your that's just to show how how good the quality of depth is on the Brewers right now. And I would make I'm going to Braun for just a second again, but to your point about giving guys rest, I would make the argument that Braun's final production and not average per game. But true final production, I bet his final production would be higher if you shoot for him to play 130 games as opposed to shooting for 150 games. I would agree completely with that. 
I think 2015 and 2016 absolutely show that. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. The before anything happened this past week with the uh, with the two acquisitions, the biggest news around the Brewers was that they had submitted an offer to pitcher Yu Darvish, and uh, still no decision has been made. The latest reports we heard though was that he was going to make a decision by the end of the week. Well, we're into the next week, and there's still no decision made. But the fact that they are in on Darvish, and there's the other free agent pitchers out there with uh, Jake Arrieta and Lance Lynn and Alex Cobb, and you know there's some guys who could probably be acquired via trade as well. What has to happen for the Brewers in terms of uh, their starting pitching? What do they need to bring in? Um, I think I'm going to be in the minority here where um, I think a lot of people believe that it's 100% certain that the Brewers need to bring in a top rotation guy. And I know we've we've spoken in the past about how how good the pitching system is in Milwaukee right now. I think a lot of people keep forgetting that it was pitching it was pitching that led the team last year, not not hitting. And that's actually why they went out and got hitters so far instead of impact pitchers. And um, I think if they just get a depth arm, they'd be fine. I, I think that people underrate Julius Chasson. I think people underrate Zach Davies and I think people even still underrate Chase Anderson. So it, it just seems to me that even if they get one of these middle-of-the-market guys, they don't necessarily absolutely need to get Jake Arrieta to improve the pitching staff. I think right now they just need as much depth as possible and allow, allow their system of approaching the strike zone to work. Because what, what their success is is just how they attack batters right now. They do a great job of pitching in the strike zone and really going after batters, uh, especially elite teams like the Cubs. They just go straight after them. And so I think with that approach, anybody could succeed in Milwaukee with, with the right, I guess, with the right look at their pitching arsenal. Um, well, I guess I shouldn't say anyone. That's a, that's a little bit of a blanket statement. But basically they have, they have the type of system where if you're looking at an unorthodox pitching staff, this is a place where they could succeed. Do you do you like the potential idea though of a U Darvish? Oh yeah, I love it. I mean, if that happens, I just I, I'm a big fan of Milwaukee getting stars. I think I think that's great in general. If the Brewers end up getting a big player, I'm I'm almost never going to be upset about that because um, a they have the money to do it right now, and then b that just that just sets a path through the players' union where suddenly Milwaukee gets on the map of places where you want to go. And I, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. You had a, a piece that you put together uh, recently, and it was somewhat in uh, response to another recent piece by uh, Jeff Passant from Yahoo Sports. And it, it's been, I always like talking kind of business of baseball with you as we are starting to pivot here. Um, but you touched on the idea of collusion going on in baseball, and that relates back to all these free agents not signing deals. But you also touched on uh, the the lack of pay for for minor league baseball players. So let's let's look at the what's going on right now. You've got these, you've got four starting pitchers who everybody <clears throat> considers as the the top starting pitchers available in Darvish, Arietta, Lynn, and Cobb. There's other high-profile position player free age. You know, somehow Eric Hosmer and J.D. Martinez and Mike Moustakis and other guys who are all-star caliber guys, somehow they are they don't have jobs yet. They don't have contracts. 
Are you on the side of Scott Boris that you think that there is collusion going on around Major League Baseball within from owner to owner, or is this something that is just a, a very odd thing happening this one off season? I would say yes to both. Yes, that there's collusion, and yes, that's an, an odd, it's an odd thing. And I think this goes back to one of our first conversations we had was about um, the idea of to what extent does having the same type of analytics department in each front office lead to a certain type of collusive thinking in the first place? So the fact that you, you pretty much have this set of professional group think in, in all MLB front offices right now, they all, they all have pretty much the same Ivy league pedigree. They're all trained to think the same way. I think when you get an Ivy league education, it is true that you're being educated for like a very specific narrow like elite professional mindset. And then um, if you look at a lot of these guys' uh, positions, a lot of them come, came up through the commissioner's office too, as I understand it. Like someone like David Stearns came up through the commissioner's office. And I, I think there there's going to be some other places where you see these internships and these other positions these guys work. They jump between front offices so much that they're just absorbing knowledge from every single ownership group and every single front office in the game so what what you end up happening what what you end up see happening is that they come up with this idea like oh let's push free agency deeper and deeper into the offseason so they say okay we'll get a more favorable price if we just push signings as late as you can possibly go but if all 30 teams begin to think that way suddenly you don't have a market advantage suddenly it's not just a fresh way of thinking about getting a great deal on the free agency market, suddenly you're shaping the market in such a way that there's colluding forces to bring down the prices across the board and uh, also to similarly value players across the board, which is a really bad thing because these are world-class baseball players that are available to be signed right now. They can impact the pennant race for any number of teams. And the fact that the fact that so few teams are jumping on that opportunity is a huge red flag for me. I think it's it's odd. It's absolutely odd. It might be a one-time thing, but it's it's kind of disgraceful if you ask me. That, that it's kind of embarrassing to Major League Baseball that that not more than ten, maybe ten teams want to win enough to go after these free agents. Where almost any team in the game right now could take their fifty million dollars they're going to get from advanced media this spring. And and invest that into a free agent to change the fortune of their team right now. But the fact that nobody's doing it really, I think, speaks volumes to the amount of groupthink that is going on in in these front offices. I love the your use of the word groupthink, and I think it's so. Maybe it's a nuanced difference. Maybe it's a difference that doesn't even matter. If you, if you punch somebody and you either did it on purpose or you accidentally did it, it still hurts the person that gets punched no matter what the same. But the, the whether or not there was intent does matter sometimes. So the nuanced difference between groupthink and collusion, I do think that's notable because if, if you've just got a bunch of owners and general managers who are all thinking the same way but they don't have this – uh, this desire to, you know, engage in collusion, that, that, that's, a, that's a little bit better, right? I would, it's, better is not the word I would use. Yeah. I, I guess you would say at least it's not, 
at least it's not illegal or you know, purposeful. At least it's yeah, not, like openly violating the the collective bargaining agreement. But right. I think what it ends up turning out is then you have this really strange thing where, like, when we began the conversation and we were praising the Brewers ownership group for for really trying to win right now, you kind of it kind of makes you scratch your head um, that that, wow, we, we actually go out of the way now to praise an MLB front office for saying, yeah, we want to win this year. And it just makes you wonder how many teams in the league right now don't have that ownership group breathing down their necks. Like, what's going on in Pittsburgh right now? You know, do you, you have to wonder, is their ownership group saying every year we need to win every year? Or are they, they saying something else? Is that happening in Miami? Is that happening in Atlanta? Is it happening in San Diego? You just you really start to wonder with with the way the market's shaping up how how many of these GMs go to sleep at night fearing for their job if they don't have eighty one or more wins in the column this year. Now, one one thing that could end up if if we get into next off season and everything just kind of goes back to normal, then this is just a a weird off season, and we can put this conversation somewhat in the rearview mirror. But uh, Nick, what do you think the chances are if this can if if what's happening this year continues to happen year after year after year do you think this could result in a work stoppage i would hope so from the standpoint of the players union because i think eventually they're going to have to figure out and, and mind you you know i've been talking about the ownership side of this but i know uh from some of our previous conversations you know this as well that i'm i'm not holding the you know i think the players union is culpable too for for some of the ways they refuse, for instance, they refuse to represent minor league players. And so if you're telling me you're going to form a professional baseball union, but you're not going to represent about 6,000 members of your profession, that, that to me is a problem. And if you want to know why your negotiating base is dwindling down so much, it probably has to do with the fact that you're refusing to represent 6,000 people in your profession. So I, I think the players union it's it's going to get ugly cuz you're going to have you're going to have a lot of unresolved stuff from the 1994 strike that's still going on. You have the fight between small markets like Milwaukee and big markets like the New York Yankees where they, you know, their ownership groups are at odds and you're going to have the battle between owners and players generally and you're you're totally right to say that. I think if this type of offseason happens a few years in a row, the players are going to have to do something, but it's going to be they're going to have to completely redesign how they think about their base. So that's why I wrote the article the other day supporting the idea of the MLBPA uh, representing minor league players. I think that immediately changes their bargaining standpoint. Uh, if they if they begin representing those interests, they can get these guys money a lot earlier in their careers, and then they don't have to rely on free agency as the be-all, end-all for when these guys get paid out. So you could make the argument, it's an interesting argument, because right now I see very low motivation for uh, Major League Baseball players to to bring in the minor league guys. But, you know, all these guys have already gone through the minor leagues where they, you know, they we've already accomplished this. We're already here. We don't, we went through it, so now these guys have to go through it. Like, that being the attitude, but what you're saying is if if the current trend of 
free agency and and values of player contracts going down and, and just the, the slow the slow roll in uh, in the free agency if you can make the argument okay we're going to start getting you more money as a minor league player and that's going to help supplement what maybe you don't make now because of the way free agency is going that's the way you get the minor leaguers into the uh, into the players association and maybe maybe see things really change and you know it's 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 great to talk about these guys. Uh, what's what's not happening right now in terms of free agency and values going down? But not a lot of people are going to cry for you know Lorenzo Cain who makes uh, eighty million over five years instead of a hundred million over five years. That's just it's a tough argument to make. But I think it's a lot easier argument to make when you go look at the conditions of what's happening with these minor league guys and the yep. the, the, the the ridiculously low amount of money and then the circumstances that they have to live in while going. Going through minor league baseball. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's how you sell it. The the idea that um, these minor leaguers can be in this. I mean, and let's remind everyone that major league baseball's like more than a ten billion dollar industry at this point, and they have they have minor leaguers in this profession who who don't make seven to ten thousand dollars in a summer. I mean, that's that's just ludicrous and i don't care what your signing bonus is i don't care what your future potential earnings are that's a that's a terrible wage for the amount of work those guys put in and what what i do wonder i would love to know what someone like lewis brinson thinks about this someone who just came up from the miners and has it fresh in his mind and now look at lewis brinson he got he was the lead prospect in a trade for christian yelich who's uh, about a, I think he's, what, about a $55 million player or so, and Lewis Brinson's going to be making the league minimum this year. And and I've priced it out, uh, I, I put it in the article, I think Lewis Brinson should be making about six times as much money this year. He should be about a 2 or $3 million player or so. But you, you have to wonder why these guys aren't asking this question when they see themselves as a part of these huge trades, or they just come up from the minors and it's fresh in their minds. Because you have to say, this guy, this guy deserves more money. He he just deserves it. It's not it's not a matter of like opinion on that. He's he's underpaid for the type of um, potential he has, even if you take the risk into account. So, w- what I want to know is how do you get the system redesigned so that a guy like Lewis Brinson can earn three or four million dollars, two or three million dollars in his first year of play rather than 500,000 and maybe he's earning you know 30 or 40 or 50,000 dollars as a low ball minor leaguer rather than you know 7 to 10,000 it's just the whole thing needs to be redesigned um to, to compensate these guys fairly. And, and I know there's people listening to this right now saying I'm not going to cry for somebody who's playing baseball for a living but I'm somebody who worked in minor league baseball for 10 years. And, yeah, the, you, you had the bonus babies. You had the, the guys who were not just selected in the first round but the first 10 rounds and got great signing bonuses and the money from the signing bonuses were going to be able to you know keep them in perfectly good financial shape for a while. But mm-hmm. when, when you're an undrafted free agent – coming out of college as a fifth-year senior and you're 23 years old playing low-A baseball and you're making $700 a month and you've got student loans behind you and everything, you know, it, that, it, it becomes a challenge at that point to really continue to you know, fight for your dream of eventually becoming a Major League Baseball player. I agree completely. And uh, if you don't mind me saying about the fans, you know, 
I think a lot of fans love having the tough guy attitude. Um, but we don't look in the mirror ourselves of like, look at how much time we spend putting in these games. We watch games every night of the week. We spend all day reading about it. We spend all day debating about it. You know, there's, there's great press about this. There's lots of journalists working in it. It's a, it's an elite field. And what ends up happening though, is that shapes it all the way down to high school for a lot of these guys where if you're good at sports, let's be honest, in our society, you get funneled into sports. You don't get a full education because sports is going to be your avenue. You don't get, you know, you don't get focus on sharpening other workforce development skills because people say, hey, this guy could be an athlete one day. And so suddenly you're putting this, you know, 14 or 15-year-old kid has to make a decision for the rest of their life and say, well, yeah, I guess I'll gamble on being an MLB player. But that to me, that's a societal thing. So it's it's a little, it rubs me the wrong way when fans act really tough and say, oh, I'm not feeling bad about these guys playing a game for a living. It's like, well, the type of industry we set up and the type of focus we put on sports in our culture, if, if we didn't do that ourselves, maybe these guys would be less inclined to make that tough decision of saying, yeah, maybe I will try and make this $700 a month job work to try and be an MLB player. But, you know, these guys are pushed. I think we really try to ignore this, but it, if you're an athlete, you're pushed towards that. And so, you know, we're all kind of culpable in this. It's just, I think we need to put up a big mirror for all of ourselves to to look at and say, well, how do we, how do our practices as fans also impact like this whole industry? Nick, I love our conversations. We could keep going for a while before I let you go though. Man, you guys are just churning out the content right now over at BP Milwaukee, and as we get closer and closer to the season, uh, it's just going to keep on going. Can you uh, tell the listeners uh, what all you have going on right now? Yeah, yeah. i got a gang full of excited writers. They've, <laughs> we've all been emailing all winter. We're saying, geez, I hope something happens soon. So it's going to be exciting to see what the content comes up next because now, now we got a whole different ball club to, to profile this year. This is going to be uh, – I've said – you know, talking to to my friends and my family, this feels like what could be the best five year window in Milwaukee Brewers baseball since 1978 to 1982. And as someone who grew up when I did, you know, when the Brewers were bad for decades, this just seems like a really thrilling time. And you know, we're going to cover it to the best of our abilities. And it's just—I don't think I'm going to miss any ounce of this fun. It's going to be great. Make sure to follow uh, BP Milwaukee on Twitter at BP Milwaukee. Read all of their content online at uh, bpmilwaukee.com. Uh, Nicholas Zettel, join us. Nick, it's, it's been great. Always enjoy our conversations. Thanks so much for uh, carving out so much time for me today. Right on. Thanks as always, Matt. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. That is Nicholas Zettel joining us here on the program, and that is just about going to wrap up this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We are right around the corner from spring training opening up for the Brewers. Pitchers and catchers uh, reporting on February 13th. Full squad February 20th, and a few days after that, the first spring training game. And again, the season is going to open up on March 29th. Do want to remind you that you are able to uh, hear all the action of Milwaukee Brewers baseball on WTMJ in Milwaukee, and of course with that signal throughout much of the state. 
do want to say thank you to uh, Nicholas Dettel who joined us uh, just a few moments ago for our social media conversation. Also, by the way, a lot of people came up to me uh, during the Brewers on Deck event uh, mentioning the podcast and everything. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Really appreciate it. And if you ever want to get in contact with me, do so via Twitter at Matt Pauly on air. That's going to do it for this week's edition. We'll talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.